Let's do tech. I know it's been a while, but we're back and we have an amazing episode lined up for you. I personally am so excited about this one because I think this is the one I really, really, really need. Like All of them have been amazing and I've learned so much, but I feel like this is the one I know I know next to nothing about. So I'm really excited and we have an amazing guest with us here today. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on Let's Talk Tech. We're really looking forward to this episode. So yeah, I'm Temi, your host, as you know, and the fifth episode of our technology breakdown season. We are here today to talk about blockchain, and we hope you learn what blockchain is and why it matters. We hope you're inspired to go find out more or even learn some of the skills to start playing or working with it whatever you want, or just just to know more about it. So without further ado, I'll introduce our guests. Please tell people about yourself and why we have you on here today to talk to us about blockchain. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so my name is Chago Zewu. Uh, I'm the current CEO of um, CI Crypto Solutions, popularly known as Nike Crypto. We run a cryptocurrency exchange, a cryptocurrency payment platform, as well as a blockchain advisory slash technology building section and we're currently based off of lagos nigeria and we have a main market in africa more especially nigeria kenya even expanding into latin america like haiti and colombia jamaica coming soon and other african countries also coming soon that's basically what i do i've been a blockchain enthusiast (laughs) basically for a good part of my adult life Right, uh, since as far back as 2011, that's when I got to first know about Bitcoin and blockchain. And yes, and I think it has guided a lot of things I've done in my career decisions and things like that. That's awesome. So, mm. see, guys, we always promise you an expert in the industry, and I think we've we've hit the note here because <laughs> yeah, it took a while because there's not many of you out there to be honest. So you're you're in rare company to be to be honest, and I'm. I'm so happy to have you on. One question I had, yeah. 2011 Bitcoin, does that mean you bought some Bitcoin back in 2011? Uh, no, not actually. I actually bought my first Bitcoin in 2013. 2011 was when I got um, first got to know about the technology. I did a reading. Speaking of which, there are no experts <laughs> in this space. It's a very vast, like, okay. it's a very, very vast space, right? So I got, mm-hmm. I got to know about Bitcoin in 2011. I was reading about it. I read Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, Satoshi Nakamoto, yep. who is the unknown individual who founded Bitcoin. And yep. um, I got into a lot of it. In fact, um, a lot of my friends knew me as Bitcoin because I was always talking about it to everybody <laughs> I could talk about it to at that point. So but I actually bought my first Bitcoin because in Nigeria at that point, exchanges like the Mount Goxes and the forums where Bitcoin was sold, it wasn't easy for us because we couldn't use PayPal and a couple of other features. So my first time actually buying Bitcoin was in 2013 and I bought it from another person, right? A fellow Nigerian also. Right, I was like, oh, I could actually buy this from you, and it, it was a very great experience, which I think I held till 2016. And once I still buy and sell, like sometimes, <laughs> but but I still I still take that 2013 buy as my main initiation 
into the blockchain space. So yes, I've, I've, I've held since 2013. I've learned about it since 2011. Nice, nice. Yeah, my my only experience with blockchain and kind of why I even have a sliver of understanding about it was at university. And one of my flatmates actually at the time used to buy and sell on the Silk Road, which was a dark web website. I'm sure you've heard about. Um, Yeah. And I remember when he was like, oh, yeah, Silk Road, dark web. At the time, I didn't even know what the dark web was. So he explained it to me, which is basically it's part of the Internet, but it's not indexed, which means you can't search for it. But anyone can access it. You just need to know how. So he told me about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> Bitcoin. I was like, gosh, what is this like fake money? That's literally what I thought. <laughs> and he tried to explain it to me. And there were some other people at uni who, who were buying Bitcoin at the time, like a couple of guys. And I was just like, I don't know. This sounds like a scam. And now, obviously, I'm full of regret. I'm like, I should have just bought some Bitcoin. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was literally, that's the extent of my knowledge. And obviously now I have bought some Bitcoin. I do hold some Bitcoin. I have a vague understanding wow. of what cryptocurrency is, but not really. So you're going to help me wow. and, and the rest of our listeners with that, please. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. You told us you're the CEO of cryptocurrency trading platform. You're currently in Nigeria, you're expanding across the world, which is really cool. Funny enough, like um, people think my background is tech, right? Yeah. But uh, my background is actually finance before tech. I studied international finance. In that uni, makes sense, right? Though. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I've always had this very strong interest in tech. I during my whole finance days, it was more focused on okay, yeah. If you teach me anything in the finance class, like. How can I use technology to make this easier? <laughs> that was, that so was you, everything. You've always been a techie at heart. So you studied finance, yeah. uh, bachelor's, master's. Were you working in finance for, for a bit? No, bachelor's. In fact, before my bachelor's, I worked in tech before okay. my bachelor's in finance. Yes, I worked for a company called Interserve, right? Back then um, in Abuja, uh, before I did my bachelor's and uh, after my bachelor's, and I founded Niger Crypto. Or rather, yeah, after my bachelor's, I founded Niger okay. Crypto, and it has, it has been Niger Crypto since then. Before, like, Intercept, I have some experience working also with uh, BTC Turk and um, also with Intercept, yeah. During my BS days, uh, we did, you know, <laughs> one, one thing about the crypto space is a lot of us into the crypto space, we did a lot of freelancers because there were so many opportunities in the space mm. as of then, right? So, we did a lot of freelancing, so we got experience doing. Um, I was a bug tester on a couple of uh, the, some of the first ERC projects. Wow, that, um, you're you're out. saying you're yeah. saying a bunch of stuff that I do not know anything. About. No, no, I, I would explain. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Like, so You've lost me. I was a bug, I was a bug tester on so many blockchain projects in, during the oh. initial stage. It gave me a love for pen testing. Oh, okay. Of course, uh, now now yes. you're speaking my language, pen testing. Uh, exactly, exactly. So we're getting a good picture of you. You love technology. You've always had a love for technology, but you studied finance. But very soon after uni, you funded Niger Crypto. But before that, you had experience with other cryptocurrency exchanges. So it seems yeah. like you kind of latched on to that. And you're like, this is what I want to do. What skills did you work on and how how did you kind of get into the blockchain cryptocurrency space? 
one of my main one of my main loves, right, in finance, uh, to be more specific, is financial engineering. Working with contracts in finance, like making uh using contracts to make financial inclusion even better off and things like that, right? So yes, my okay, I sorry. I'm not a finance person. What does that mean? Because when you say contracts, I'm thinking, okay, maybe <laughs> when you when you like pay for something, the obligation for the payment to go through like from the person paying and the person receiving, or what does that mean? Sorry, I literally have no idea. What, what that no, I, 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 get it, I get it. Just just think about it from uh, the niche perspective, right? Okay. One of the things a financial engineer tries to do, right, is is basically to try and see. Okay, how can we make this transaction? Okay, I, I want to get something from Temi, right? How can we make this transaction have a, a like a backing to make it easier, right? And uh, also write, uh, make another person maybe to be able to invest in this transaction. How can we make this transaction safe, right? How can I make sure that, oh, Temi does not cheat me, Gozier does not cheat Temi, right? So things like that, like that's what a financial engineer is going to look at. And um, I was also like very, very uh, interested in the payment space, right? Uh, making payments easy. Of course, I'm Nigerian. We come from a country whereby um, financial inclusion is very, very poor. Payment facilities. Funds, the biggest fintechs that have raised money in Nigeria are fintechs that have tried to solve the payment problem. Right? I'm talking about OPAY, I'm talking about Paystack, I'm talking about Flutterwave. Yes, but still, a lot has not been done. In, it's very difficult for a Nigerian to receive, uh, let's say, Nigerian freelancer to receive money from a bird. Right, it's very difficult for uh, a Nigerian freelancer to, let's say, transact. Let's say someone in uh, Pakistan, for instance, it's very easy. The normal methods, Western Union, are very ineffective. Like proper trust, PayPal services are not really, uh, not really available to us. So this payment technologies and all this is also things we're trying to. How do we make this easy? How do we make money? Um, Research shows that it is easier for a Nigerian to import a good from USA than from Kenya. Kenya is our fellow African country, right? Mm-hmm. But I can, it's easier to import something from the US or China than to import from Kenya. It's easier to make a payment to the, like, to the US from Nigeria or to the, uh, China from Nigeria than to Kenya, right? So these are the problems we're trying. This is Africa is not trading amongst itself. These are some of the problems we are trying to solve with the technology. And these are some of the fields I was interested in. How do we solve these problems? How do we make money flow? How do we make the person earning as, as little as 20,000 naira be able to participate in the financial markets? How yeah. do we make this things easier for people, for even a student, right? As far as, as far back as secondary school to be able to start saving and building an asset base for themselves. Things like that, right? And that's why we are so focused in Africa, Latin America, because these are the regions that did blockchain more than any other. In fact, in the US court, for instance, I could I tie a contract with someone very easily and the courts protect me in the US and the UK, right? But in Nigeria, is not so much, right? And hopefully I will get to explain how um, yeah. blockchain can help in creating this transparency in, um, in how we transact. Okay, cool. Awesome. So your financial understanding and your degree got you thinking about financial engineering, contracts, payments. I see I see how you ended up <laughs> where you are in terms of cryptocurrency. Okay, so what skills did you work on or 
do did you have that enabled you to to kind of work in the blockchain space? Basically, I'm a I'm a numbers guy, right? Uh, like mm-hmm. I was very mm-hmm. I was very good at math. Like I write math I, I write mathematical algorithms for fun. Right. <laughs> so I'm a mad, I'm a, I'm a mad statistical guy. Uh, my creative algorithms. I think I have some published. Maybe listeners can check out bowie30.com. I've written an index and a couple of other stuff that could be used to track the crypto market, right? So yes, the mathematical skills are there. And I think that's the basis of what uh, a lot of teams are doing, even in Niger crypto. Making in the cryptocurrency market is uh, uh, it's cr- kind of crazy and you need those math skills, right? And I also have people with the coding skills that are able to transform my algorithms into code um, okay. a lot of time. Maybe, yeah, but I think my greatest skill has been the business. In blockchain, you need a lot of convincing because so many people, like, as you say, so many people do not understand. Like, it looks like a scam. It, there is this <laughs> abstract, like, what the hell? Are we just trading numbers? It's kind mm. of that, but are we just trading numbers? So you need those marketing and business skills, right, to also survive, which um, I'm working on. We're still working on it every day, but at least I've been able to use it to build my crypto to an extent and also to also work on that project. Okay, cool. So now we'll get down to the business. The reason why you've all tuned into this episode, this is where Gozi is going to break down blockchain so that you and I will understand it and not be so confused (laughs) anymore. Yeah, I think most of us have heard of cryptocurrency. Some of us may have even invested in cryptocurrency. Some of us may have even used it or transferred it or so on and so forth. But what we're concerned about here is not just cryptocurrency. I'm sure we're going to bring it up again. But firstly, What is blockchain? Please, can you break it down for us? Yes, I'll try my best to make it as simple as possible, right? Okay, so put things into perspective. First of all, I'm a business person, so I believe one needs to understand. To understand something, you need to understand the problem that it is solving, right? There is a problem computer scientists called the Byzantine problem. So let me just break it down. These were the Byzantine problem is trying to say. Let, let me just give you the story where the problem came out from and then use it to explain uh, the data science aspect. So you had two uh, Byzantine generals, of course, from the Byzantine Empire, uh, the Eastern Roman Empire. So they were trying to attack a city. If these two generals attack this, thing, this city at the same time, the city would definitely fall. But if either of these generals, so let's call General A and General B. So if General A arrives first and attacks the city, there is a probability that he is going to lose, right? And the city would not fall. If General B comes on his own without General A, there is also a probability that the city would not fall and uh, General B loses, right? Mm-hmm. So now General A and General B need to collude. But now, General A does not trust General B that, oh, if we agree we're arriving to attack the city at 4 p.m., General B might decide he's to uh, stay behind and then allow General A to be decimated. And then General B then comes in and takes out the spoils, right? So they, needed, they need a system whereby General A and General B need to be sure that we are both coming at the same time, which has never really existed. There was no way to guarantee that. 
that oh general A and general B should attack the city at the same time. Now this is a problem in data science in the sense that you assume there is always a bad player in every database management. So no matter now uh, in traditional databases you have a situation whereby okay a couple of people have root access to this. How do you know? Of course, one person cannot have access. How do you know that, okay, this person does not become a bad player and then uses the data in a bad way, in a way that is not meant to be? How are you sure you can trust the other person to do what he's supposed to do with the data? This has been a very big problem, right? And this is exactly what blockchain is solving. Data transparency. With blockchain, I can guarantee that this person will do what he is supposed to do with the data. So this is what blockchain basically is right mm-hmm. it's a distributed ledger right we know what a ledger is like for those of us uh, no matter the size of the business or we have run any business before when you uh, make a transaction and you do an expense you usually record it in the ledger before moving it to other accounting books like um let's say i made a sale today i record it in the ledger or i yeah. sold a, le- a ledger a ledger is just a record isn't it it's just a record yeah, of transactions I, 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 Exactly, exactly. So what the blockchain is, is an open ledger, right, of and the authority to write and record and like do things with this ledger is distributed. So it's not one person that has an access to this. It's not two people that has an access. It's distributed. The right and authority to this ledger is distributed, meaning that if one person A is writing on the ledger, does not conform with what the general consensus agrees, then that data is void. So everybody has to agree that, yes, this is what is on the ledger, and then they can move the data. So you have what you call your private keys and your public keys, right, when it comes to encryption, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So with uh, your private key, you have particular access to have what the particular authority you have on that blockchain to alter, and with your public key, anybody can see what alteration has been made on that yeah. blockchain. Yeah. You understand? Sorry. Just just in a slight interlude here, for those who don't know what private and public keys are, it's a combination of, depending on the what it's based on, there are various encryption schemes, but it's typically a combination of letters and numbers, and if it's private, then it literally means it's private. Only those who have access to it know what it is. If it's public, then it's available to anyone to view. So basically, these just one means, right? And... In this ledger, so with the Bitcoin blockchain, of course, the Bitcoin was the first form of uh, blockchain, right? So you have a situation whereby any data, each block contains a system of these ledgers. Each block has a particular agreed data size. Now, this particular block, right, for it to be for it to be created, that block that contains all this information, a process called mining has to occur. And for that mining to occur, you have what are called the proof of work, right? Now, the proof of work was the original of staking, um, or the original consensus mechanism for the blockchain. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? So for that block, now, as I said, remember, everybody has to agree that this is what it is. There has to be a consensus, right? And so for the proof of work, you just have a bunch of computers solving um, some complex algorithms that human beings cannot solve. And whoever solves these mathematical problems first is rewarded with a block, um, is rewarded with a Bitcoin now to solve 
this particular problem, right? And so that's why you have a lot of computers trying to mine, trying to solve these problems. And this computer and this mining also involves one validating transactions. What does it mean? It means confirming transactions, and you also receive rewards for confirming transactions on this blockchain. So basically, so, uh, even all right. Sorry, I just wanted to ask a question. So if I'm understanding correctly. You have a block which is like a ledger, which is open, an open record of transactions and anyone can see it, read or write to it. But in order to write to it, it needs to be agreed upon by everyone. And then exactly. where does the chain aspect come? Is it the fact that it needs to be sent and acknowledged before it can form an actual transaction? Is that why it's called a chain? Where does the where does like the chain aspect come in? No, 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 not exactly. So the chain aspect now comes in. So each block is created. Now information from the old block is sent into the new block. I tried my best not to go too complex here. So <laughs> I want to simplify. So the way I'm explaining this to an expert might sound crazy, right? But let me just try and simplify it as much it's as okay. I can. So we're not experts. So, it's all good. <laughs> all right. So uh, information from a block goes into a new block. Yeah. So in this situation now, you have an interlink of blocks. You get where I'm coming from. So a block is created, information goes into the new block. So um, the, the old block was containing A, B, C. Now, for, for, for the old block to be referenced in the new block, C has to be taken into the new block. You now have C, B, E. E has to... So E will be the chain between the old block and the new block. You understand what I mean? So mm. not have like like that. So that's how information is taken from each block to the other, right? So it's sort of interconnected, and that's where you have the chain aspect, like chain of blocks, if you know what I mean, all interconnected with yeah. each other. And this whole system of is called uh, what you call the blockchain. And for everything going on in that blockchain, right? Validation, there has to be consensus within the community. When the community does not reach a consensus, that's when you hear what they call the fork of a blockchain. So when, when you get a fork of a blockchain, a new blockchain is created. So you are getting out of the whole existing systems, right? In of which mm-hmm. one of the first, most popular, we call it segregated witness protocols, right? Um, that happened is the creation of Bitcoin Cash from Bitcoin. Yes. Right, so you had a couple yeah. of people in the community saying that, okay, this block size, I want to reduce the size. I don't remember how many megabytes exactly, but I want to reduce the megabyte content of the blocks, right, to make transactions faster. And also they just separated. Instead of like accepting this new block creation, they kind of fucked out of the uh, original blockchain. Believe me, it's, it's, it's actually a very easy concept to understand. If you just look at it as, okay, this is a ledger that everybody can see what is happening on it. Whatever transaction you do on this ledger, everybody can see it. And if you want to send something on this ledger from one person to the other, I have to use my private key to validate it. But with my public key, everybody can see what I have done on this ledger. And I think that is the simplest way to explain blockchain. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. I hope it does to everyone listening too. Uh, The only question I had was, when you talk about community, how is this community made up? And could I join the community? Like, how does one gain? Because I'm guessing 
Yeah, how does one gain entrance into this blockchain community? Could anyone join? Yes, this is a very perfect question. Yes. The, 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 okay, let me give you some insights. One of the reasons, of course, blockchain has a lot of applications, right? Um, but you see, Bitcoin is a financial application, right? And it was the first ever solution. So the creator of, uh, the creator of Bitcoin is not a coincidence that it was created just immediately after uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement, after the financial crisis. And all that. So they were probably looking at a dysfunctional system and trying to repair it. So you have uh, the traditional financial system is a situation where you have a few big cats controlling the whole system and manipulating the system to their choosing, right? In this case, it's for everybody. It's decentralized. Anybody can participate in one way or the other. It could be through mining, it could be through uh, trading, it could be through... You could even host a node, because these blocks we're talking about are hosted on nodes. So you could even be a node creator, right? So it's totally decentralized. The Bitcoin network cannot crash today, because for you to crash the Bitcoin network, you have to crash thousands of computers, because it's hosted on multiple com- like multiple networks all over the world. So that's why people attack it. What does right? decentralized mean? Okay, so decentralized basically means it's not controlled by one central party. Yeah. Right? You're not your traditional banks now. Your money is held in the bank, right? And the bank is the central party. If the bank decides, I don't want to give you your money, or if somebody gives like some sort of uh, uh, blacklist this individual and say, oh, this is, don't give this individual money, the bank can decide, oh, I cannot give you your money. Mm-hmm. The bank controls your, the central party controls your funds, right? Now, in the case of a decentralized system, no single, you have total control over your fund. The community no single, does, yeah. Exactly. So, no single central party controls this particular money flow, right? If you destroy one node, there are thousands of other nodes filling the space. If you alter, if you alter the information on your own particular network, it's you're you're basically leaving that chain because if you you would not sort of synchronize with every other person in that chain. So what am I talking about? So it is agreed that, oh, I have, let's use dollars. So it is agreed that I own $5, you own $10, right? So basically, I could decide to wake up one morning and say, no, I do not own $5, I own $10, I own $20, right? If I do that and I change how much I own on the ledger, I do not synchronize with the rest of the ledgers that every other person has. You understand? So yeah. I have to come here. I have to, yeah, I do own $5. So it's decent, it's this decentralized sort of decentralized regulatory power mm. that is holding it. Not one person is holding it. And, and that is why a lot of applications have come out for the blockchain beyond that, which I also hope to talk about before uh, the show is over. Um, a yeah. lot of application has also come about because of this. That's actually my that's actually my next question. So go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> what what are what are some real life applications of blockchain? So I think you've done a really good job breaking it down for us. It's think about it as a database, a ledger of transactions where the community has to kind of agree and validate each transaction and the data is propagated to the new block. So you have like a chain, a chain of ledgers and the community decides what happens 
Hence, there is no central authority, so it's decentralized. So you've you've hinted heavily (laughs) that it Mm. it plays a big role in financial markets and opens up avenues for potentially countries where people don't have access to, to traditional finance or good financial systems. So please... Give us give us some examples. What are some real life applications of blockchain, please? Some of my personal favorites. Okay, for example, um, in terms of uh, let's say medical data, for instance, this is still kind of related to finance because I'm going to bring in insurance companies into this, mm-hmm. right? So, so you have a situation whereby and get, uh, getting my medical data, my medical data, like once I share my medical data with, like, I don't know how it works in the UK, but this is a problem both in the US and Nigeria, right? So once I share my medical data with any government agency, the insurance companies have a way of getting this without any pre-authorization, and they can spike up my premiums because okay, maybe I am I had a, a diabetes test, not that I am diabetic, right? But because mm-hmm. I had a fear of diabetes, my premium could actually rise like mm. that, right? And things like that. So such medical data and things like that. So with, with blockchain, we have. Total control over your medical data with your private um, your private key is gonna encrypt your medical data. And uh, when you give anybody a public key, unless you sign that data with your private key, they wouldn't have access to your medical data. So it makes it more transparent. You also have in terms of also have in terms of like legal legal practice, right? There are some things that would make if I come to the legal side, let me come with like let's say KYC, ANO laws, and also um, how people store data, like national databases of people, right? So blockchain will make this less cost, uh, will, make, will reduce the cost of managing national databases by at least a top, uh, by at least 90%. It's going to drop that cost massively, right? So why is this? Is because basically I have the control over my own data. I'm inputted into this database. I have my keys. Um, and these keys are controlled by the individual, of course, with some smart contracts, telling this is when the parent can have control and at this age, divulge control. If I wanted the KYC on any platform, for instance, all I have to do is give them my public key. Then I authenticate their access with my private key, and then they now see, and then I authenticate the data they are allowed to see. You understand? Now, I personally cannot change this data because there is also... In blockchain, we call it validation, but uh, there's also the alteration mechanisms to change that. Okay, this is how it has to be validated before an alteration is made, right? So, but this is my data. Okay, this is my date of birth. So when I share my public key, anybody I give the authentication can say, okay, this is my date of birth. This is my passport number. This is I am. Uh, this is transactions I have done. I'm a clean person. I'm not an individual. I'm, I'm not a shady individual. And just like that, you've reduced. You've, wiped out billions of dollars worth of costs in the KYC and AML and verification industry. KYC right. being know your client, right? Yeah, know your client, know your customer. AML, anti-money laundering. Anti-money laundering, yes. Of course. And which even brings me to another use case because the, the, uh, the ledgers are public, right? So it also prevents money laundering. So people talk, uh, people think Bitcoin actually enables money laundering. Um, I think law enforcement is laughing at this because they know they are having a few deal with this. Of course, there are privacy coins. Maybe if I get to come here some other day, I will get to talk about that because that's a whole niche of its own, the privacy coins like Monero and Zcash, right? But uh, with, the, with the Bitcoin blockchain, right, it's, it's 
actually uh, there is actually no secrecy there because whatever transaction you're doing now the problem is knowing the face behind this transaction which is also very easy because you need to transfer this bitcoin and get cash so you cannot move hundred millions of, of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin without actually transacting with lots and lots of people, or transacting on the exchanges who do KYC, or transacting on people that could be traced. So, so people that attempt to use Bitcoin to launder money, it has been almost a ninety-five percent failure rate. Okay, cool. We've got medical, legal, financial. Let me ask you one and see if you can give me a use case. I work in cybersecurity. Uh, what's what's the use case for blockchain and cybersecurity? Mm, I think blockchain on its own has solved a cybersecurity problem, where you have bad actors in databases. Mm-hmm. So like that. So that in fact, the Bitcoin on its own has actually made uh, has actually made databases more secure, right? So now imagine a database whereby uh, instead of two or three actors having uh, root access to this particular database. You now have uh, thousands of people that are monitoring this database, right? That's, uh, and another hundreds of people that validate before an alteration is made on this database, right? So it's all the cybersecurity problem whereby you have, okay, uh, one bad actor cannot just destroy this data, cannot just come in and like compromise this data, give up data in this database, right? And um, blockchain is an immunity. Cannot be, of course, a lot of hacks have happened in the, in the crypto space, which is not a hack on the blockchain, right? These are hacks of solutions built on the blockchain. Blockchains by itself are unhackable, right? They are immutable, they cannot be altered, and all that. So, thinking of it just out there, is the whole blockchain by existence is solving a cybersecurity issue. Okay, I have, a f- I have a few follow up questions. First, all right. <laughs> First I love one, this. First one is the scenario you're presenting with this database that the community has access to and hence can validate, which is the premise of blockchain. How does that work in a scenario where I'm an organization that is trying to keep hold of my confidential proprietary information in said database or part of said database, like maybe my customers or the ingredients for my best-selling milkshake or something. Um, how does that help my security to then open it up to the community? Or I might, op- mm, I might just be about to ask my question. So you, I'm going to let you yeah. answer that. What's, what's your answer to that? How does that work in a, in a world where I want my data to be secure, exactly. but I also want the benefits of blockchain? How, you, you, you just me how, how do the two things merge? You, you just brought me into another use case of blockchain, uh, pattern security and all that. But yeah. I'll come to that, right? So uh, um, basically, right? So now saying that a data is public now, okay, for example, now, so let's say the recipe to this milkshake, right? Is uh, maybe two spoons of milk and a spoon of sugar, right? So the public is a basic to, milkshake. Basically, the public is learning to see that okay, two spoons of milk, one spoon of sugar. They can see that yes, there is a record here, right? The public 
can show them there is a record here, but they do not have to know what is on the record. The only people that will have access to this year record are people that you want them to have access. But now this is what happens. Nobody, a third party cannot come and change this record. If a third party changes this record, it will show that, okay, someone with another private key made this alteration, making the alteration invalid, right? So it is only you with your private key that can make an alteration to this particular record. Right, and you can only give it to people to see the people that you want to see via a public, uh, via an authentication mechanism by signing your pop um, by signing their own key against your key. Mm. <laughs> if you know what I mean, if you know what yeah. I mean, like yeah. um, uh, I, I don't know whether uh, I, uh, a lot of people seem to use um, things like um, uh, your friend that knows about Silk Road must have used this application. I don't, I'm trying to remember the name. So signing keys, this is a GPA or something. I, I've forgotten the name. Several, but a lot yeah. Of, yeah, a lot of people in the crypto communities, like before they send you an email, they're like, they send me a private key. Like, I'm like, wow, <laughs> the security conscious and all that. So, yeah. but basically, but basically, this is what it will be because with a blockchain, yes, everybody can see that this information exists, that this patent belongs to me. But they can't actually see what it what the contents are because it's exactly so that's that, with my private key yes exactly. i'm just thinking like I, I i don't know whether this solution exists so i'm just thinking of the box now of a, a solution that is possible in that uh particular type of scenario right and um yes i think similar things have been talked about in terms of patents right because you have a problem whereby Let's say I get a patent in the UK. This patent does not uh, does not apply in Nigeria, right? Or I get a patent in the US. It does not apply in China, and this is why um, the Chinese can sell a lot of goods to Nigeria that are obviously ripoffs, mm-hmm. <laughs> things things like that, right? So if you have a unified patent system using the blockchain, it's going to be easier to enforce internationally patents, right? So if I see something that I feel breaches a patent, I can that file a legal case and it's called upon on the blockchain. I do not need to send. Um, I do not need to send anything to the U.S. government to say, okay, no. With the blockchain, it's easy to see that. Okay, yes, this is my patent, right? And it's on the blockchain, and only the necessary authorities will be allowed to view this particular patent and to see what the content of it is, where it be, and things like that. Like it will be open. That like, yes, I found this, right? I'm the person that created. I'm the person that maybe. Um, Made this in this particular way, and mm-hmm. I have the rights to this, right? So anybody that wants to create any part of the world can call on that immediately and say, okay, this person has done it in this particular way. I have to do it in this particular way, or that someone has done it in this particular way. I have to do it in this other particular way. Things yeah. like that. I feel like for me, blockchain boils down to like encryption and ownership, really. It's it's a lot around. So okay, that's that's good. That's a good way for me to understand to, to understand it. What are some of your other? What are some of the other real life applications of it, of um, blockchain that we've seen? So we're all familiar with cryptocurrency and the ability to trade, buy, sell via the means of cryptocurrency. So using it just as you would cash. It's very easy for people to understand. And like you said, um, you have machines worldwide that are mining sovereign algorithms to give you 
what is like virtual currency that you can then use in various transactions online. So that's one that I think a lot of people are very familiar with in terms of things that have happened as a result of blockchain. What else, what are other real life examples that we have of the use of blockchain? Oh, there are a lot. There are a lot. So basically, let me let me let me start with the financial applications because, as I said, the finance is one of the major places that uh, is one of the major successes in Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency, basically, right? So um, after Bitcoin, one of the first a lot of cryptocurrencies came about, but one of my most favorite ones is a cryptocurrency called Ethereum. Right. So what Ethereum enables you to do is basically you can build decentralized applications and write smart contracts. I would explain. My favorite crypto as well. <laughs> Whoa, Ethereum, <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, yeah, wow. because so, I feel like right. it is blockchain in a way. Like Bitcoin is the big daddy, um, <laughs> flashy yeah, celebrity of face of crypto. But I feel like Ethereum is is more about Practical. underlying technology, right? Yeah, and exactly. the facilitator for other other applications, hopefully. Exactly. exactly. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, no, of course. And believe me, a lot of uh, people are building things similar to the Ethereum network, but Ethereum has still pioneered this in a very, very great way. So, um, basically, what Ethereum did was it's give you the ability to build decentralized applications in terms of um, create your own tokens in terms of ERC20 protocols let me not go into that one and basically write smart contracts which is one of the things that led to the fight decentralized finance I'll come to that right so what Ethereum did in this case right was I could come I could build something on Ethereum easily and I could launch uh, and I could have validators for this and I have decentralized a process. Let me give you an example that came in. The first ever, not the first, but the first ever most pop- popular project that was built on Ethereum called the DAO, right? Um, which is called a decentralized autonomous organization, right? People still use that as the generic name for many DAOs today, but there was actually a company called the DAO, right? a decentralized company called the DAO. So it was like a decentralized venture capital. What you had was, okay, people had projects, right? All they had to do, and it was built on Ethereum, basically. People had projects that they want to build and they needed venture capital, the uh, submit these projects and DAO, validators, uh, sorry, curators, cur- um, creators, curated, uh, people, uh, validators, validate, and people vote using the DAO token. And they, then uh, a certain amount of Ethereum, depending on what the community agrees, is assigned to this particular project, right? So it's sort of a decentralized venture capital. And since the DAO, of course, the DAO was not so successful because of a smart contract bug. But since the DAO, there has been a lot of projects in decentralized uh, decentralized finance that have been coming up, and it has even blown up more recently, right? So you have situations. I personally, I just want to put a bit, a bit of this there. I personally think that decentralized finance has not gotten to where it is supposed to get to because what we have is still a lot of people moving funds back and forth. But for the sake of this, I've written a lot about this, and maybe I can share these articles later, right? But for the sake of this, I'm going to just give you like what decentralized finance is trying to achieve. It's trying to kind of remove this remove this money from the hands of a few and kind of like make it open to a lot of people 
make it open to everyone within this uh, particular space to have a say in, okay, this is getting funded, this is where this money is going to, this is where this money is um, going to come from. All right, so uh, basically, uh, this is what um, a lot of uh, people were trying to do with uh, the FI and just basically decentralize the whole financial process, and this is working. There are, um, while I criticize a lot of the five projects, there are a couple of good ones out there. You have the type of the synthetic network token, you have AABE, Comp to a certain level, Uniswap, and a couple of others. This project, I, I have to give a shout out to that I got to know about recently, Escrow Protocol, that what they were trying to do is basically uh, decentralize how people use calling out how people use money that they are funded, like making sure that, okay, if I'm get, get my funding and this is what I'm supposed to do, money is not released until I achieve certain milestones and all that. So, and basically things, um, things like that around the DeFi space. So there, there has been a lot. And one of the main parts that is beginning to show up, right, although not in the way it's not in the most ideal of ways, but I believe it's going to get there. Is the situation with NFTs, non-fungible tokens, right? Yeah. It's creating it's creating a system whereby ownership, right, ownership of um of particular assets can be easily easily validated. I'm going to go away from the application for arts and the application for um, things like that, and also go a bit into things like real estate, right? Imagine a, a world whereby it, Seems like real estate is tokenized, even traditional securities are tokenized, um, traditional fixed asset machinery, things like that are tokenized. It makes ownership easy, right? You mm-hmm. can spread the ownership. So, for example, now there is, you have a building. Let's assume that building costs a million pounds. So you could you could sell units of that building for let's say uh, you could sell you could tokenize the building and sell each token for let's say two pounds, three pounds, four, five pounds, and you have like even the common man have been exposure to that particular real estate asset. So if that real estate does 4x in future, value multiplied by 2 multiplied by 3, that person's 5 pounds is 10 pounds. And if, even if rent is being paid on that property, he's still earning as sort of dividends from owning that token. So this is just one application, right? And this is an application we are personally working on here in Nigeria. We're looking to see how we can get that done. And Yes, NFTs. I think NFTs is one everybody should look into, but there is also a lot of noise you you brought me, so I'm not I'm not one of those people that would like make I, everything is going cold and it's, nah, nah, nah. I have to like also warn people that there is a lot of noise out there when it comes mm. to these particular use cases, right? Yeah. So uh, there are a few good ones, and there is the remaining is just a lot of noise. <laughs> okay, those are a lot of applications. We we have some futuristic almost and then we have some that are happening in the here and now what are some of your favorite applications of blockchain that you've worked on but in terms of the financial applications yes so basically with niger crypto right now it's easy for somebody to send money from nigeria to kenya and niger crypto is all blockchain based they are blockchain stable coins right it's easy for somebody to send money from nigeria from Nigeria to Kenya, from Nigeria to USA, from Nigeria to the UK, at very easy and cheap rates, right? It's easier for somebody to participate in the global financial markets. These are things we've worked on and we'll keep working on. We're working on our mm. native blockchain, and our native blockchain is aimed at what I talked about, tokenizing fixed assets, 
right? And also tokenizing traditional security so that even the common um, man earning less than um, 20,000 naira, earning less than 50 pounds, can actually have participation in the financial market. So that's what our native blockchain um, is aimed at. And it's going to be smart contract enabled. And it, it could be written, you know, most um, like Ethereum had to come up with its own programming language called Solidity. Hopefully, uh, with our own blockchain, it could be written in traditional languages, although Python is going to be the easiest to use in that case. Mm. But it's going to be, one could also be able to write in C sharp and uh, hopefully one or two other languages, right? And all that. So, so what we're trying to do is that we're also trying to, we're also currently working in creating, um, making derivative markets accessible in Africa. What do I mean? So in the US and in the UK, for example, now the derivative markets are trillion dollar markets, right? And that's because the cuts work. You can enforce contracts, like you can enforce these derivative contracts, futures, options, MBSs, CD, uh, that's mortgage-backed securities, credit default swaps, so different types of swaps, uh, other types of swaps, um, forward contracts. Like this, these are all contracts with differences. These are all enforceable because the cuts work, right? So in Africa, sincerely, our cuts didn't really work. So uh, that's why we're working in a way, an easy way. We're um, fund managers, right? Not working in a project that is already in this pilot phase. Um, where fund managers can actually easily create um, um, derivatives and sell it on, on the exchange, on the Niger crypto exchange. They do not need to know how to code. All they need to do is just input the mathematical algorithm and the blockchain creates the contracts and the contract faces an immediate audit by two or three validators. And once it's audited, it's place on the exchange and sellable so they can they can um, hedge their risk in the financial markets easily they can hedge their risk with the assets they are basically exposed to at that point so yes these are the things uh, we're currently working on with blockchain what are you most excited about with respect to blockchain but i feel like i feel like you've already kind of touched on it is, <laughs> is there anything else that you you want to mention what what are the You've spoken about what you're working on with Niger crypto. crypto. What's, what's coming up? Is there anything that you're not working on specifically, but within the blockchain space, you're excited to see where it could go? In terms of tracking weapons, right? That's one I want to see very, like I want to see go very, very far. And generally, generally speaking, I'm excited to see how blockchain has brought financial freedom to a lot of people. Mm. Let me give you let me give you an example right now. The situation happened in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. Um, it has made the Afghan the Afghan currency run a free fall. Like people's wealth in banks are not guaranteed because you do not know uh, what the Taliban is going to do with its banks. And basically, Afghanistan has been cut off from the international financial system because um, you cannot move money in and out. Even the traditional Islamic systems are moving money. Right? I've forgotten the name of this very popular system. It's, it has also failed and all that. So you have a situation whereby there are a few people that, okay, when they saw that, okay, chaos is coming, they moved all their assets into crypto. They are safe. They are safe. You cannot do that with traditional currency because when chaos happens, you might find it difficult to buy US dollars. But the found is very easy to buy cryptocurrencies. And most of them are safe because their assets are in crypto, they are all safe. So no matter what happens, 
the Taliban does with their wealth. They are very, very safe, right? And even for those of them that end up living in Afghanistan, they have wealth that they can always convert to cash use, right? So, same thing with Venezuela. I have a couple of people using Niger Crypto that are from Venezuela. The, the situation in Venezuela is is dicey, right? Because you have hyperinflation. A lot of people were able to store their wealth in crypto because once it, that happens, the hyperinflationary scenario is the traditional assets valuations go haywire. But with crypto, you are storing in valuations that are not tied to Venezuela, but it's tied to a decentralized international system. So it has also helped a lot of people out in Venezuela to store wealth, to basically maintain value and things like mm. that. So yes. I'm excited to see what is being done with stable coins. I'm excited to see what is being, uh, what people are building on both on Ethereum and the likes to Ethereum today, like Solana, like the Polygon Network, Binance Smart Chain, the Tron Network. Like basically, a lot of people are building a lot of things, and there are a lot of people. Let's see how we go with them. So, just this is a perfect segue. The the final section of this kind of main content is looking at your concerns and as you were talking there about what you're most excited about which I think are all very good points to make but I was just thinking so you said people in Afghanistan have a way to secure their wealth which yeah that's good right in in times of chaos like you said earthquake terrorist attacks um, natural other natural disasters you instead of like cashing out all your money putting it under your bed or like things that people have done in the past you can just transfer your money to cryptocurrency but my only question there is what what about the volatility that exists with the value of cryptocurrency so like the the big daddy (laughs) shiny boy Mm -hmm. bitcoin as we know um had like really high highs this year but has also had not low lows but it's had some um humbling lows for for some people who invested when it was when it was getting higher so how how do we manage that if we're talking about it from a financial point of view and let's i like the example that you gave for example you're living in a war-torn country and your only option is really to to put your your finances your wealth your assets into crypto because you can't hold cash they're literally um soldiers at your door you can't hold cash something may happen to you or your family it's a very scary situation so you just want to keep it somewhere that you know is secure as you mentioned before no one can touch it like you have mentioned before and it will be there until you're ready to yeah. do something with it but what if for example, when when the Afghanistan issue came to a head, I think Bitcoin was at around thirty thousand um, pounds. Now it's like thirty six thousand pounds, and there was a point where it was reaching, I think it was like fifty thousand pounds, and then there were points where it dropped to twenty two thousand pounds. So what if so they put it in at thirty thousand pounds, and then Maybe by the time they're able to get safe passage to another country like UK, US, France, etc., the value of Bitcoin is then twenty thousand pounds. Maybe 
Maybe Goldman Sachs has pulled out of their investment or Elon Musk has tweeted something crazy about Bitcoin again. And the value drops to 20,000. How can we then still say that, yes, blockchain is or cryptocurrency is this solution to decentralized finance because that's that's my main concern i guess as someone who doesn't know much as i've said how can this how can this be a trustworthy and even with nfts because it's all tied to essentially the value of the dollar we say it's not but it kind of is and it, it it it's influenced by real world affairs what how, how do you see us dealing with that Okay, so basically, um, yes, this is a very valid question. First of all, for the person that like is in a country that is like uh, where there is chaos, they want to maintain the asset value. This is why we have stable coins. We have the USDT, the USDC. We have stable coins against the dollar. We have stable coins against the pound. We have stable coins against the euro. Keep in mind, it will not be easy for these guys to buy the US dollar, but it will be easy for them to buy crypto, which they can convert to a stable coin immediately. Like in less than a second, right? Or even buy the stable coins directly, right? So what stable coins do is that they are tied to the dollar or whatever currency it is tied to, right? So the value is usually uh, one is to one, of course, minus transaction fees, but it's usually one is to one at, at any given point. And of course, the most popular being USDT, second most popular that has been getting a lot of momentum, USDC, owned by um, Secular, I think, yeah. So this well, this stable coin is the value that will up and down the way Bitcoin and the rest do. And in terms of the volatility, yes, this is a very big problem. In fact, my crypto index I created called Barry Teddy, it's it's focused on trying to reduce the effect on building portfolios and like sort of removing the effect of this volatility from crypto portfolios by using some uh, some symmetric balancing mechanisms, right? So this is a big problem. This is a big pro- and this is a common problem with markets that are not very mature. The volatility is there, right? But the thing is, is to know what you why am I coming into the crypto market? Am I coming to the crypto market to speculate? If I'm coming to the crypto market to speculate, yes, the volatility is lovely for you. If you know what you're doing though, you can understand because it can blow out a lot of people, right? If you're coming to speculate, it's lovely. If you're coming to if you invest in just cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. In the long run, they have a smooth trend always. If you take a, like, let's say, a five day moving average of the price of, let's say, Bitcoin Terra, right, and smooth over time, over across the last 10 years, you will see that, yes, there is a well identified trend and it's up, and you have, um, um, in finance, uh, one of the tools we use to, to calculate black is the so called sharp ratio. So you find out that the sharp ratio has been delineated from that point, right? So, basically, those things are valid to identify, oh, why am I coming into the crypto space? Am I coming to speculate? Am I coming to buy Bitcoin at 40k, sell at 50k and make a profit? <laughs> or am I coming in, you understand, am I coming in for the long term? Am I coming in for the use cases? Because many of these tokens, for example, now Ethereum, Ethereum, like you say, you love Ethereum, right? Ethereum is not just an asset for speculation. It has a use case. Is the coin used to pay gas fees on the Ethereum network? Is like the cryptocurrency powering the whole Ethereum network? So, and most cryptocurrencies, of course, I'm not saying that all use cases are valid because sincerely there's a lot of rubbish out there, but <laughs> you have a lot of very strong use cases, right? 
So trading is usually the means to an end, not an end in itself. It's just that yeah. the speculative aspect has made it to be, which, believe me, yes, it's not as volatile in the, in the stock market or in maybe the foreign exchange market, but the, both the stock market and foreign exchange market is 85% speculation also. It's 85% speculation, right? So speculation kind of drives liquidity in this market. So yes, I do not I do not want to say, oh, the speculators are making the market horrible. No, the speculators have a role to play in every market. Yeah, they're coming in for the game, but they still provide liquidity to the investors and all the people that are utilizing this particular cryptocurrency. The market is not mature. You also see this with new stocks that do not have so much liquidity. I think beyond it, had a, a, a volatility that was worse than Bitcoin when I was still following stocks at that point, right? So these are immature markets. So when the market becomes more mature, it's going to become less volatile, right? When most people, Bitcoin adoption worldwide is not, it's not up to, we don't have up to 10% adoption like, in terms of world population, right? So yes, there is going to be that volatility because it's an immature market and it's normal with financial market and all that. So this is a problem, and I hope it's a problem that we get to see less of soon. And as I said, it's good to identify what you are coming in for. So I, I don't know, your question was kind of long. So if there is any part of your question I've not addressed, you can let me know so that I also find it out in this, in this segment. I think that was it. It was just about how confident can we be in the use of blockchain? Sorry, I also I just remembered one aspect of your question. Yeah, in the case of NFTs, the FI and um, those bad valuations, bad actors trying to dump things at high valuations on people, this is a problem that can only be solved if major players within the crypto space call it out. I mean, to be honest. Isn't that what capitalism <laughs> capitalism That is it. That, I, I have written a lot about this, right? Like, like, like it's, yes, it's capitalism, but sincerely, yeah. like, crypto, we're trying to solve the problems of Wall Street, not become a new Wall Street. We are, but that's the, this, is, this is the thing. I feel like, and this is the fascinating thing about technology, because you always see that, I feel like a lot of people at the heart of, technological solutions are like problem solvers and they're like what can we do to make life easier for humanity or like you said like people don't have access to this how can we make life easier how can we solve this problem but (laughs) i feel like inevitably what creeps in time and time again is just human nature of like greed (laughs) selfishness and people try to use things and unfortunately i think even unintentionally with things like AI where you have bias and you then have systems that are built for a certain group of people and not for others and I think yeah I think we kind of see something similar with crypto or with blockchain in general where there are many noble well-intentioned use cases like you've mentioned but then there are also many different ways to leverage or exploit it for your own personal gain which a lot of people do yeah. Uh, sorry, I was just thinking. Like even if you as an individual is well intentioned, you have to work with the system 
that is yes. in the world. Like, yes. It's normally the tech space. Even um, when you come to venture capital in the tech space, you, you, I see founders that, okay, like, oh, I want to build, I want to solve this problem, I want to make this app as robust as possible to solve this particular problem. But you literally get venture capital funding and you get those venture capital guys on the board. They are how, yeah, we want to use the money to build and make it better. No, how fast are you growing? <laughs> like, how can you make more ca- money? Yeah. Exactly. We need to mm-hmm. cash out in that Series B and that Series C and things like that. So, yes, it's also a problem in the crypto space. But the thing is that this is the advantage the crypto space has over more sectors. The crypto space has the numbers game. It has the numbers game going for it. As time goes on, as more people get, as more of the masses come into the crypto space, you have this massive decentralization. And this is going to happen more with millennials and Gen Z and the coming generation after Gen Z because the baby boomers... What is the coming generation of the Gen Z? Is it... Why? <laughs> I, I don't even... I, I have no idea. I have so millennials are Gen Y. I feel I like... No idea. This labeling of generation bit just snuck up on me and I'm so out of the loop. I'm just like, huh? When did we start labeling? <laughs> I don't even know. Even... It, it took me by surprise too, also. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, our generation, right, the millennials, we are the ones that are going to, uh, we have the numbers right now when it comes to total world population, right? So, but we do not currently have the wealth. So very soon that world transfer is going to happen. Yeah. We are going to yes. So and the nature of the centralized nature and more appreciation towards technology, things are going to become more streamlined. Yes, I know this is a bit idealistic. You basically just saying, you basically <laughs> saying get the boomers out of here. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, like, <laughs> like man, I, that was a that was a very very that was the easiest way to put one of in my terms. <laughs> You need to get you need to get the older generations out of this. And being a Nigerian, like I take more in Africa and Nigeria than any other place. You need to get these guys out of the systems because they're the ones that are they do not have this appreciation for technology the way we do, right? So once you have this if you come the average Nigerian youth knows about Bitcoin. Or has done something with cryptocurrency or something like that. So yeah. it's it's is a trend that will continue and we'll see more uh, more reduction in inequality. So, but right now it's still in a baby state and people will manipulate it. People will uh, try to take advantage of it, but with time, this things are going to clear up. But in the meantime, man, those we need to call those guys out <laughs> for now. I think that covers most of most of what I wanted to ask about when it comes to blockchain. I think you've given us a very good definition breakdown applications the possibilities are almost endless really um (laughs) which is kind of a theme with this series because we're talking about like you said technology that can really change things and can really enact real 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 difference in this world so yeah it's it's been an absolute pleasure to find out more and to listen to to your thoughts so thank you signpost us to some resources for, for people who have who've been captivated by what you've had to say um, and want to learn more about blockchain what resources would you recommend okay for people who want to learn more about blockchain 
Okay, I have, there is this, I think there is this book I think I should recommend to everybody. He tried to simplify a lot of what blockchain is about, right? And it's called Digitalism New Cash by Nathaniel Lewis, who is also a friend of mine, right? So I think that's a good resource. Maybe I might share it with you. Maybe you can put the link when you share this. Also, Digitalism New Cash by Nathaniel Lewis. Just, (laughs) I don't really have specific recommendations, right? But there are a lot of resources out there. In terms of what I've written personally, I think I'll also share some of the links. I'll also share the links to the Maui Teti, and hopefully a simple Google search could expose a lot. <laughs> so it's just, yes. it's just, it's just yes. to focus on, on what you're searching about. So I think anybody wants a salt wants to learn to read about the file, read about NFTs, and mm-hmm. read about... Uh, um, how new consensus mechanisms are being developed in blockchain every day because this also gives room to the non financial applications of blockchain. The new consensus mechanisms being developed, like the proof of stake, combined proof of proof of stake, and more than consensus mechanisms being developed and things like that. And there is a lot of there are a lot of opportunities in this crypto space. It's all about just researching and trying to explore. For the tech guys, for the guys going to tech. Average salary of a blockchain developer is really outpacing that of other de- normal other developers. So uh, because then what we what we what we talking? This isn't <laughs> this isn't in this season. This is in a future season where we're going to talk about roles and salaries. But just a sneak preview. What what are we talking? Um, the average blockchain developer is about eighty to ninety grand a year right now. What currency? Dollars. Yeah, US dollars. Nice. Right? So yeah. you have, yeah, that's on an entry level spectrum, right? So you have a situation where senior blockchain developers now for many projects end between 200, 300k, 400k a wow. year. So, <laughs> so, so you, it's because they are scarce. I yeah, have a role in like, yeah. yeah, of course. And, and in Nigeria, for instance, now, you cannot get a blockchain developer that is, or that is, that does not have something going in. Exactly. Yeah, I have to get people part time because I cannot afford to pay blockchain developers anymore. Like it's it's crazy. So it's it's a good niche, especially especially learning solidity because I think that's uh that's the base language of the Ethereum network and a lot is happening in Ethereum. So blockchain development and anything related to blockchain, even blockchain lawyers these days are, are, are any modern not other lawyers, right? And yeah, yeah there's guys that uh, represent blockchain companies. Many lawyers know about blockchain, so the few that do mm. are now at a premium. Understand? So that's true. It's, that's it's, true. Digital, digital yeah. tech, um, tech lawyers. law is it's 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 a big field to get into. So yeah, like like we said we said in our initial episode, technology is potentially for everyone if you want it to be you don't have to be a techie there are many non-tech paths which we will cover in i don't remember now if it's the next season or not but we will cover it through the course of this podcast so stay tuned guys that will be coming your way soon that was a nice little insight into what you can expect we will delve into roles salaries roots into it um tips and so on and so forth but yeah awesome thank you so much for that gozi that was amazing you're welcome. I personally 
feel like I understand the blockchain a lot more now. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I look forward to doing some more Googling. So yeah, next up, that was episode six in our tech breakdown season. Let's talk blockchain. What can you expect up next? Next up, we will be doing something very interesting. So we will be talking about human computer interfaces. And when I met our guest, I was like, what is that? Because I was just like, human computer interface, interface, what does that mean? But she explained it to me, sounded amazing. And I was like, you know who would love to hear more about this? <laughs> the Let's Talk Tech listeners. So that's next episode, human computer interface. So if you're like me, you didn't know what that was, watch out for that coming soon. And I think it will be another amazing episode hopefully just before we go a quick shout out to our guest Gozi thank you so much for coming on CEO of Nijak and as as you've heard it he is the man to go to with any of your crypto questions (laughs) you said you like discussions so if anyone wants to follow up and on that note you can reach out to us on Instagram on off the grad gist which is a-f-t-e-r-g-r-a-d-g-i-s-t check us out on instagram we post about upcoming podcasts you can leave questions and comments about previous episodes future episodes um any topics you'd like us to discuss any questions you'd like us to ask thank you all for the feedback and Thank you all for those who were checking in to see when the next episode was. I'm sorry, I know it was a long layoff. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Blockchain and our amazing guest. Chagazi Ewo. Chagazi So yeah, thank you all. Let us know what you think.